0: My name is Kyle Burkholder, I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church, and um, I'm excited. We're going to continue our Christmas Covenant at Christmas uh, sermon series. And um, I don't know what you thought today was going to be like, and if you thought you were going to show up and see a clown preaching. But this is probably the best-looking uh, sweater in here. Some of yours are pretty good. We're going to talk about gifts today, and I just want to say thank you. Oh, these are good. Um, yes, yeah, everybody had to look. Sorry, um, you guys are a gift. Those of you who went over the top, anybody with tinsel on their sweater, um, you get extra points in heaven today. Um, thanks for helping make today fun. Uh, why did we do this? Uh, I'm going to catch flack from some people because they're like, this doesn't seem like an appropriate way to celebrate in Sunday in church. And what we'll Look, 2020's kind of been inappropriate in general, right? 2020 just kind of done its thing. And so we said, let's inject a little bit of fun into our lives. So thanks for, for participating and being part of a community that um, we're not going to take ourselves quite too seriously. And yet uh, there's serious stuff around us. And so let's uh, let the joy uh, well up within us as we kind of celebrate the season. So we're talking about gifts. Okay. Today we're talking about gifts. Uh, last week we started talking about Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to talk about the same passage today, but from a different angle and so, as we start talking about the gift of uh, Jesus, really, the question is, what's the worst Christmas gift you've ever gotten? I've told my story before. I'll tell it again in brief. But think of, just think, can you think of the worst gift you've ever, the time you opened that present and you went, oh, how, how do I respond? I, I tell everybody every year, I say, the way you know as you go into your Christmas season, when you give a gift, if somebody says out loud the name of the thing that you gave them, that's a really bad sign. It's not going the right direction. When they open it and they go, oh, Socks. That's buying time to try to come up with some lie to tell you how much they really like the socks. I remember I was uh, nine years old, and an aunt of mine gave me a sweatshirt. I was a basketball player. This is a time uh, when when sports were kind of there's like three mainstream sports, and everything else was sort of weird. And she gave me a sweater that had a skateboarder, a neon skateboarder on it. And skateboarding was like. I think you have to do drugs or have like face piercings. You know, it's the 80s, and so who skateboards? And, and she gives me this skateboarding shirt, and I was kinda horrified, like one, I can't wear that because I'm not, I'm not I don't know, I'm, I've never skateboarded in my life. Um, two, it's too big, three, it's neon, and four, what are you doing, Why, do you know who I am? Maybe they got the wrong person. So we took it back to Target, it was from Target. She goes, "That's from Target if it's too big, and I was like, I will do whatever it takes to take this back, and I was excited to actually get something I wanted, not going to sound real generous at this moment, but this is how my little nine-year-old heart felt. I was like, just exchange it for whatever it's worth, and we took it back, and the lady did the little thing with the tag, and she goes, oh, it was on clearance, which is always what you want to hear when you're returning a Christmas present. They bought it on clearance. It's $1.97. How do you want that? In gift card or in cash? And I was like, why don't you keep that? Um, that was my worst Christmas gift ever. Maybe you remember yours. Best Christmas gift ever. This is going to redeem things for me. Um, she's over there. We, uh, she was late by a day, but Bella, my oldest, was born uh, the 26th, and so we were kind of waiting, 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 and she didn't come on Christmas Day. She let us enjoy our Christmas um, because she's, uh, she was born thoughtful, and then she showed up on the 26th. And so this is the time of year for us that we think of the gifts, uh, even in our family that we've been given, of these incredible, um, this treasure. So I'm excited about gifts and talking about gifts. I don't know what your best gift is, but um, we're going to talk about what it might be. Jesus is not a reward that we earn. That's what we're going to say over and over. He's not a reward we earn, but he's a gift we must receive. And so we're going to start there and end there. Jesus is not a reward we earn, but he's a gift that we must receive. Okay, so in Isaiah chapter 9, I'm just going to read, and you can read along with me on the screen. Prophet Isaiah writes this, "'Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those in distress. In the past he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations.'" The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. We talked about that last week. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people rejoice before you as they rejoiced at harvest time. The men rejoice in dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian, you have shattered the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. For every trampling boot of battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's weird. We're going to talk about it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from that time and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There's a lot in there. So we talked last week about this idea of light dawning, uh, of, of how we've kind of walked through the valley of the shadow of death and what, what comes with the light there. And what we see today is in verse 4, he references to the time that God delivered the Israelites from the Midianites through Gideon. And so if you are like, just you get home today and you go, I want to know more, you go to Judges chapter 7, you can read the whole story of how God delivers the Israelites. And, and basically the story goes that God... God made uh, Gideon send the entire army home. So the army was coming up against the Midianites, and he said, send the army home so that you can see my power. And so the mighty God, when we hear mighty God, prince of peace, mighty God shows up, and this is what happens. God defeats the Midianites there, and he shows that salvation in that first moment, he shows salvation will never come through your power, through your might, through your military prowess, through your strategy. Salvation comes through me. And so God starts training his people. Salvation always comes through me. And so then when it says in verse 5, every trampling boot of battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned, strange thing to say. What Isaiah is saying is the deliverance that the child that I'm speaking of, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, that the deliverance being brought means you don't need to do anything. It's just like when God removed your army and won anyway. No military hardware is needed for victory in the days to come that God has it covered. And so he says, you can burn it all. You can burn the boots of battle. You can burn the swords and the plowshares. You can burn it all because I got this. And so then there's the big gift. So as we look at this, this uh, passage, there's two things happening. There's a big gift, and then there's kind of these sub-names that, that God has given. And so we're going to do two things. One, what is the big gift? And two, what do these actual names mean? What gifts do those bring with them? The big gift, unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is born. Is born. That's the big gift. So stop there, take a 30,000 foot view. I don't know if you've noticed, our society, this is, this is a wild time of year, every year. Every year, this is kind of stunning to me, but this year especially, we've had a little bit of a strange year, and we live in a society where there is no central truth acceptable to all people. That depending on where you sit in any different issue or any different area, politically or otherwise, there is no central agreed upon truth. That everything is kind of fungible. Like we can all just kind of, well, maybe you believe that, but I don't believe that. And so we don't have universal truth. We have kind of, you speak your truth and you live your truth. Okay? Every side of every argument can claim fake news and it's kind of works. Faith has been deemed oppressive, even dangerous by people in our culture. That this idea that there's an exclusive way that you need to be followed, that can't be right. Those people, not only is that like kind of strange, but those people are dangerous. We are nihilistic, relativistic. We are a temporary culture where everything is being able to be thrown away. And in this society where there is no truth, where everything is temporary, where everything is relative, in this culture, people who reject Jesus outright are pleased as punch in this season to sing along to Christmas songs on the radio talking about this Savior in a manger. Mariah Carey, as I've seen the ads for whatever her new Christmas special is, is not wearing enough clothing and is super happy to sing about a risen Savior. And everybody who's gonna watch it because they love pop music or because they love, we're all just kind of in. And your neighbors who would outright in August reject Jesus, they're kind of like, eh, you know, okay, we'll sing that song. Oh, Holy Night, that's a, that's a pretty song. And they know what it's about. And so it's this wild disconnect, this incongruent kind of thing happening in our society where people are more and more and more rejecting Jesus and now in this season, more and more and more open to the hope that he brings because something in us, something in our subconscious knows that there has to be more. We're gonna watch Linus quote the Bible on television. People will go to church even if they would say any other day of the year that they, they don't really believe that stuff. A disbelieving nation reveals that at our core, we all kind of know that it's true. There's something in us. There's something in our disbelieving friend, neighbor, relative. There's something in our skeptical friend, neighbor that just goes, you know what? Mm. I'm going to, I'm just going to allow that thought to, I'm going to entertain that just for another year. Okay. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll listen to that. Yeah, I'll, okay. And yet most of the people in our culture even though they're entertaining the idea that Christmas might be true, that this Jesus might be real, most of the people in our culture will at the end of the day, if you really press them, would say it's just—it's kind of just a nice story. I go, I entertain it, I allow it because it's a, it's a really sweet story. It's a good story. And so we just try to move on with it. Like, okay, what's well, it's a nice story. And so we move on. And I would argue that you can't do that. Christmas can't just be a nice story. It's a crushing story. Why? Every other world religion... It says you earn your way into uh, nirvana. You earn your way into heaven. You earn your way into afterlife, into reincarnation. You earn your way through the steps you take. Every other world religion says you follow a certain teaching. You take religious steps. You live a good life. You be a good person. The scales measure out. There's every other world religion. There's kind of a, a journey, a path, steps you can take, and it's on you. Christianity says that Jesus was born unto us. That's what Isaiah 9 is saying. He's born unto us, to live for us, to die for us, that Jesus was for us that hope and salvation is bound up in belief in Jesus. Unique among all world religions, this is the only one where you don't have to do anything. If you simply believe in the one who did everything, then that's how you make it through. So here's the the challenge in our culture as we address a culture that is disbelieving, that is skeptical, and yet somehow seems strangely open in this one season of the year. If the Christmas story is not true, All of this is meaningless. If the Christmas story isn't true, then everything around us is meaningless. It's just a cute story for simple-minded people or superstitious people. And if that's the reality, then it is crushing. And that's why I say you can't just believe it's a nice story because it will crush you. Because as soon as it's not true, then meaning drips out of the world. You live, you consume, you die. You live, you consume, you cease to exist. You procreate, they live, they consume, they cease to exist. Goodness and virtue become societal constructs, not real things. Serial killers and Mother Teresa enjoy the same fate. They live, they consume, they cease to exist. Redemption and love are lies, they are pursuits of fools. And the suffering of a world in deep pain becomes permanent and in vain. That's what's at stake if the Christmas story isn't true. And so while we will entertain a society that is willing to lean in and go, well, maybe 1% of me thinks it could be maybe-ish, we'll go, yes, we'll come on with us. What we can't do is allow that to be a reality that we can go, well, you can believe that. Because what we know to be true is if that goes away, if, if, the, if the reality of Christmas drips out of our lives, so does the reality of the rest of the world that we live in, so does the meaning of our very existence, Without Christmas, there is no justice, there is no hope, and we are bound for eternal nothingness, which doesn't seem really encouraging. So only if the Christmas story is true do we have hope. We then have a path to hope and justice and mercy. Life has meaning, and we don't have rules to follow. We don't have steps to take. Jesus flips the script. The beauty of Christmas is he's different than every other world religion, that Jesus won't allow us to try to work our way in. There's no ladder. He kicks the ladder down, and he says, I'm I'm the way. And so the gift that we get is Jesus, but in Jesus, the gift is mercy and grace. We get mercy and grace in the person of Jesus, not in the steps we've taken, not in whether you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, it's Jesus. Most world religions find mercy somewhere in them. This is how you would earn mercy. But grace is brand new. Christmas is the celebration of the institution of something totally unheard of. It's grace. Grace. I always want to tell the difference between grace and mercy, and when we talk about grace and mercy, I always like to illustrate it, and I do it the same way in my house. It's not even a joke at this point. It's just a truism. My wife is really good at getting pulled over and getting out of tickets. She, has, she set the world record for getting pulled over without ever getting a ticket. It just, it, my children joke about it. Oh, mom, she'll get out of this. Don't worry. She recently, they, they flew to see her mom over Thanksgiving, and, and she didn't have her ID for a rental car. And you have to have an ID to have a rental car. She didn't have it. And we were, I was like, just find a, find a male worker at the store and just do whatever that thing you do is. And, and she, she's like, yeah, I got the car. I was like, how? how? It's not illegal. You can't have a car without a valid ID. And she's like, ah, well. Okay, so back to the speeding. Okay, she gets away with everything. Mercy is when she gets uh, caught speeding and uh, the police officer lets her go with a warning. That's mercy. She didn't get what she deserved, which was a ticket. Grace is that instead of a ticket, she gets a warning, and then the, the, the cop opens his wallet and gives her a $100 bill and says, now, have a great day. Grace is not only did you not get what you deserved, mercy, but I'm going to give you something you didn't deserve, a, a gift, on top of that, that is unearned. That's grace. And so when we talk about grace and mercy, that Jesus came to bring grace and mercy, that's what we're talking about. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All world religions have paths to mercy, reducing your suffering in the afterlife, whatever that means. Only Christianity offers grace, that unearned, undeserved gift. Mercy means we don't get judgment and wrath that we deserve thanks to Jesus' sacrifice. Grace means we get salvation and eternal life thanks to his resurrection. And so when we think about this child that we've given unto us, we have to put that into perspective in the season and go, what does that really mean? What is the gift we're being given? What is the thing that's being given unto us? And it's the depth of grace and mercy. Jesus initiates the process of grace and mercy. Christmas starts this first domino by which Jesus is going to usher that into the world. So what specific aspects of the gift of Christ do we see in this passage? The names that Isaiah gives him, Mighty God, which we saw with the Midianites, Mighty God. He is the strength we need. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. We'll go through those quickly. Uh, First thing we get in there, a gift of mysticism. Christmas brings up the the gift of mysticism. Jesus is coming, and one of the names that Isaiah places upon him is Everlasting Father. I don't know if this blows your mind. It should. And if it doesn't, then I'm not going to say it right, because it should. By the end of this little Everlasting Father, the Son will be given, and his name will be Everlasting Father. God the Father comes as a son who will call us brothers and sisters. God the Father descends to earth to take human form as the Son so as to call you brothers and sisters, co-heirs of the eternity he's building. Christian mysticism is a beautiful thing and this idea of, of having an everlasting father as the a, a gift of Jesus, that is a beautiful gift of mysticism. Mysticism, if you... I've, kind of looked into it or you've lived through it, who knows what you've been through, it's taken some goofy turns along the way. But essentially, it deals with the embrace of mystery and the reality of God's true presence in our lives. The the Christian mystic isn't uh, somebody out in the desert, you know, John the Baptist eating insects, although you could be. It's somebody who recognizes that the, the mystery of God's presence in our lives and the reality of his presence in our lives is good and true. And We've lost mysticism in our, our culture, where our Western culture is very uh, rigid. The way we learn, you take multiple choice tests, it's one of these. It has to be one of these. And I, was, I hated multiple choice tests. I'm a gray thinker, and I go, there's kind there's, in between. I could make a case for this other one. They're like, it's math. I was like, yeah, but maybe. <laughs> we have trained in the church generations of children in memorizing Bible verses for rewards, but we haven't thought about how to help them hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And so we grow up, people, with a lot of knowledge in here and a lot of emptiness in here because we've lost mysticism. Believe in the Trinity but try not to think about it too much because it doesn't quite make sense. We demand a world without mystery. When's the last time you were having a conversation and somebody said, let's just Google that? There's no more arguments. You just Google it. So we demand a world without mystery and then we frown when our, uns, uh, our uh, uncertainties Whatever we Googled doesn't quite satisfy. That seems insufficient. It feels like there's more there. Western thinkers have lost mystical beauty of God. And the gift of Christmas is it is returned to us. Hey, this is the gift of Christmas. That there is a mysterious God of the universe who somehow loves you personally. That the God who created the universe, who created all of this around us with a word, came in human form and, wait for it, wants to be known to you personally, wants to be real to you personally, wants to breathe in you through his given spirit. The cosmic creator of the universe wants the deepest of intimacies in your soul. Forever. That's mind-blowing. And we sort of reject it because it's kind of a big concept. And if I can't make sense of it, then I I can't take that, I can't digest that, so I... ah. And the gift of Christmas is the beauty of sitting in the mystery of a creator who loved us so much that he came to be with us in the form of a child in an animal stall. It's a gift. Second gift we see in the Prince of Peace, we see the gift of material peace, not materialism. That's a thing at Christmas, not our thing. The gift of material peace. Peace, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, we hear this a lot. What is shalom? What does that mean? The idea of a Prince of Peace is, is it's not just a spiritual thing. We've over-spiritualized Jesus to some degree. I don't know if that's possible. Maybe we have. Jesus came to bring shalom in a physical sense too in a material world. Imagine uh, well, imagine a beautiful Christmas sweater that you loved so much. And then imagine somebody took that one thread from their beautiful Christmas sweater and they started pulling on it and the whole thing unraveled and what you had on the floor in front of you instead of a beautiful Christmas sweater was you just had a pile of thread. And so when we talk about Jesus restoring a material world, what he's essentially doing to the world around us, it's as if a thread has been pulled on the world around us and what we see is darkness and destruction. What we see is a pile of thread on the floor that was created to be good, but it doesn't look the same as what it was created to be. And Jesus is coming to restore it. Jesus is coming to pick up that thread and weave it back in the way it was designed to be in the first place. And when he is done, when Jesus is done with the material world, he will hold it up and it will be the same sweater that he first designed. Be the same perfect creation. He is restoring and renewing physical material creation. That's why he came also in Isaiah and Jesus reads from the scroll in Isaiah as he starts his ministry. And what does he come to do? He says, I'm here to provide freedom for the oppressed and sight for the blind, I'm here to heal the sick and set the prisoners free. Now, he's here to do material things with real human flesh and blood, with real institutions and organizations. He's here to put things back together, make them whole. And so when he says the Prince of Peace, peace meaning wholeness, God designed wholeness. So Christmas is then the beginning of the material renewal of creation. Every year we should celebrate the material renewal of creation. Not only is God a mystery, but He's materially renewing everything around us. We moved into a bad neighborhood in San Antonio for our first uh, house that we bought. It's a bad neighborhood, not a great neighborhood. House across the street from us sold for thirty-one thousand dollars. Didn't have windows or doors. No big deal. Uh, it was a tough neighborhood. It was a rough neighborhood. It was an immigrant neighborhood. 80% of the people in our zip code spoke something other than English as a first language. But it's where we wanted to be. It was our first house. We really wanted to be in this neighborhood, partly because we had just come from South Africa, and we didn't feel comfortable in kind of typical suburban sunbelt neighborhoods. And so we went into a neighborhood that felt a little bit grittier, a little more like what we were used to. And what we wanted to do is renew it. We had renewal on our mind for a neighborhood. We had renewal on our mind for neighbors, for the poor. So we decided to live amongst poor. We decided to invest relationally with people that were unlike us that would look at us like, why are you here? In urban planning, this is called gentrification because what happens is the negative outcome of this sort of behavior is then real estate prices go up as people improve the neighborhood and then the people who live there are priced out of the neighborhood where they live. So that's a, it's kind of a paradox and it's hard to deal with. But we wanted to lift the neighborhood up and prices go up too and that's a thing. But we wanted to lift the neighborhood up as a whole. How do we lift this neighborhood up? And so we started to invest and we started to evangelize it to our friends. And before we knew it, there were 20 different households from our church and our community of friends that had bought houses in the same neighborhood that previously no one wanted to live in. And now we had people lifting up their neighbors. And if we we kind of formed a chain in this neighborhood of, you know, a thousand homes or so, and we had 20 of them. And what we wanted to do is just one by one, shalom. We wanted to kind of renew peace into the heart of the city. I don't know that it's going to be in any history book, but we watched as this renaissance happened in this part of town that had been forgotten and and kind of kicked to the curb. The gift of Jesus is, yes, personal peace. Yes, yes. Believe and have peace. But it's more than that. Jesus is moving into the neighborhood. Christmas is Jesus moving into our neighborhood and saying, guys, i got to lift this up. Stuff's broken. I can fix it. Put another paint on that. We can repair this. We can fix that. We can lobby for this. I can, I can advocate for that. We can bring justice where it's not been done. We can bring peace where it doesn't exist. Jesus is moving into the neighborhood. That's what Christmas is. And he's here not only to give you personal peace, but to renew the world around us. This whole operation. Next, we have the gift of an emotional center. I'll explain it this way. If, if right now, I don't know, can you imagine a bank account? They're all digital anyway now, so imagine your bank account, whatever's in your bank account, find that number, okay. And Imagine I put a billion dollars into it now, okay? You now have a billion dollars in your bank account. You're going to need to tithe on that, by the way, it's <laughs> true. So with your billion dollars in your bank account, now you lose your job. Or, or there's a the global pandemic, that's not going to happen. Maybe your kids need braces, whatever. But you have a billion dollars in your bank account. How does that change the way you react to life's trouble? Well, it's still a bad day to get fired. It's not so bad if you didn't need the money. You have a financial reality that means your bad day can't end you, it won't crush you. The flow of finances, my billion dollars in your account stabilizes you in a way that the outside world can't rock you financially anymore. Jesus is called the wonderful counselor. It means he's, he's full of wonder. He's this joy bringer, miracle maker. Jesus shows up like a spring fed river. Where we we're from in Texas, there's spring fed rivers all over the place. Things just burble up out of the ground. And it's important that you have spring fed rivers because if you go a year without rain, which can happen, there'd be no water. Monsoon season or drought, the spring fed river always flows. And Jesus to us is like a spring-fed river. He's a river that flows through us. He's that joy and that miracle maker, that counselor that is always flowing so that no matter where we are, no matter what the circumstance of life is, we have a center in him that never runs dry. Emotionally, we have the wonder-working counselor and advocate within us. We have a flow of joy to stabilize us and our worst day can't sink us because your account is full, so... Circumstances can't bankrupt you because the deepest drought can't dry the river within you because it's, it's inexhaustible. Does that make sense? As long as you have access, not to the billion dollars and not to the underground river, as, as long as you have access to Jesus, you have an emotional center of stability. You have a wholeness within you that no matter the circumstances of life, and some of you are going through circumstances of life, I know There's stories that cross my desk: deep pain, heartache, financial trouble, job loss, diagnosis. When you have the wonderful counselor, you have an emotional center that no matter the circumstances of life, you can't be moved. You have the fullness and an inexhaustible river of joy and hope flowing through you through the wonderful counselor. And if we miss that, if Jesus is just the checkbox into heaven, if Jesus is just the salvation that takes away my sins, if he's just that, then we miss out on the beauty of what he offers today, in this season. You can be centered and anchored and circumstances no longer determine your days because of Jesus. Close with this ever have a gift under the Christmas tree, your family Christmas, that's sort of left over? You know, you get done opening things and you look over and there's that one lonely gift kind of askew under the tree and it doesn't have a tag on it and nobody kind of remembers who it was for or when they got it or who brought it. I feel like that happens every year. It's that no-name gift that just sits unopened. Whoever it it was intended for can't access it because they're not going to open it because it doesn't have their name on it. But they can't open it until they've received it and they can't receive it because no one's going to give it to them because no one knows who it's for. So sadly, this gift sits there waiting under the tree. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Christmas is about a gift given unto us. It's gift language. John chapter one, John says it this way. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone, Jesus, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, though he created it all, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but even his own didn't receive him. Here's this gift language again. Yet, to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It's gift language. Isaiah is using gift language. John is using gift language. Jesus is the gift to all who receive him, to all who believe will be called children of God. This is not just mercy that you're going to receive when you receive Christ. It's not just relief from what is deserved. It's grace. If you receive the gift of Christ, the gift that is given unto us, if you receive that, you receive the reward you didn't earn, the thing you couldn't earn. That's the whole point of a gift is you didn't earn it. You didn't pick it. You didn't choose it. That someone out of the goodness of their, of their heart gave you something that you then open freely. But do you receive it? Do you receive life with God as his children, as his beloved? Do you receive the mighty and the mystical, and the material, and the wonderful gift that he came to be. Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. And so today, maybe just fresh in this season, and you've been walking around with Jesus for a while, and it's been a while since you've received him. It's been a while since you've, you've fully experienced. It's been a while since you've accessed what he has to offer. Or maybe for the first time, you want to today say, maybe I've I've never received him. Maybe I've never opened that gift. Maybe I know it's there and every year I come back around and every Christmas time I go, okay, yeah, I kind of believe that. But you've never actually taken the time to open the gift and truly receive it. So maybe you needed to be reminded today that it's a gift. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you think are too big to handle, no matter what thoughts you have that others would judge you for, no matter what weight you carry in, no matter what battle you are in, Jesus is the gift, unearned and undeserved and beautiful and mystical and ready for you. So maybe today you need to receive him, truly believe in him, and as a result, open the gift, access the gift, and walk out of this place today with the everlasting Father, with the wonderful Counselor, with the mighty God, and with the Prince of Peace who is sowing your existence back together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, I confess that outside of this season, I too uh, fail to just recognize the, the hugeness of the gift, the beauty of the gift of Christ, that I underplay the material pieces of it, I underthink the emotional center that you bring. Father, I pray that each and every heart here would receive that gift, whether it's the first time receiving Christ or it's just some aspect of God that, Lord, we've forgotten about, that we've, we've put down and not accessed. Father, I pray that you would be real to us, you would be present to us, and that in that mystery, we would still have confidence that you are who you say you are. Father, for those in this room who are in a battle, we say it all the time, everyone is in a battle, big or small, public, private, everyone. Father, for those who are in a battle, I pray that you would truly be that Prince of Peace this season, that you would knit us back together in the way you designed us, that you would be close and present with us in this moment, that you would be our center, our river of joy and hope in all things. So, Father, thank you for Jesus, for the hope and the joy that he brings, for the way we get to celebrate in this season. God, we lift him up and say thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. We hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.